0: By the way, I can hear when you swallow, so you might want to mute it when you're about to swallow. As this big gulp. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Uh, good to be with you all, and we are excited to go back and delve into Daniel, chapter three on Meshach Shadrach and Abednego. You probably thought we covered most of it last time, but. There's actually a lot more. Um, And I hope you experience a lot of joy and comfort and uh, especially as we study God's word. You know, it it always is a wondrous privilege to do that. A couple of things is if you like always, if you have a question, we'd love for you to ask them. Please feel free to do so. You can ask them in the comments section. And uh, please I'm gonna type that in as well.
1: And we will get uh, uh, pre-requests
0: also. Yes. And we will try to get them get to them throughout our time together. So if you have any questions regarding that, I'd love to do that. George, you mind opening us in prayer?
1: I would love to. Thank you. Welcome to everyone. Father, we thank you at the end of a day, um, at the end of a work week, we can come to you and um, we can carefully slow down and consider that we come to our Father in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord, our Savior, and we invite your Holy Spirit to be with us every one of us tonight on the Skype. May you speak deeply in our lives. May we be edified, encouraged, challenged, stirred up. May your word bring comfort to us. May your word take us to a place where we need to confess things to you, maybe to each other. And um, may your word build us up tonight. I pray for each one of us. I realize that we're all unique situations. None of us are representing a similar case as anybody else. And it's complex. We realize people are very, very complex. And truly speaking, it's only you, through your Holy Spirit and your word, that can bring healing and growth and life and encouragement. And that's why we run to you tonight. We choose to come to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, wanted to
0: get an update on what is going on in Africa. And uh love to hear how God is working and you know, blessing and challenging. Yeah, so if you wouldn't mind sharing.
1: Sure. Well, is that not so amazing, Sam? At right at the end of the week, and those of us who've been together now will know how deeply concerned we were. And it doesn't mean we're not concerned, but we nearly felt overwhelmed with so many challenges in the beginning of the week. Well, I can tell you in the last 24 hours, Karen and I just received message after message after message of incredible things. We received messages from care workers in Lagos, in the slums, and from African leaders in Goma and Mozambique and Zimbabwe. And each one of them, as if honestly as if they were in the same meeting they just i can just describe it as the holy spirit encouraging us but every one of them pushed themselves this week and found favor we saw people doing amazingly brave things we saw govern government giving us amazing favor Um, we heard just one good story after the other. There are some communities that were so fearful that they wouldn't allow us to come to them. They just said, Mm -hmm. we fear so much. that best is nobody come. At the end of this week, we were in those communities. People not just welcomed us into those communities, some of them wept when they saw us coming into those Mm -hmm. communities and just said, we were so scared that you're gonna forget about us. And so, honestly, at the end of this week, and I just sat here today, and we watched these messages, we listened to them, and we said, in the midst of this, God is so, so, so faithful. So great news, great news out of Africa of brave people and favor. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That is so great. Yeah.
0: Brave in both sides, right? Those who yes. are doing the work and going into different places and brave in the sense of those who are receiving because as we're seeing here, you just have to walk around. You sense fear. Yes. You don't even have to be anywhere near a person and you sense just this sense of utter fear and it's, it's
1: sweeping, it's controlling. That's right. That's right. One of the things that we've done, Sam, is... We created little WhatsApp groups where different leaders are on the same WhatsApp group. And so when people share their stories with me, I encourage them and I said, put it in a voice note and put it on a WhatsApp group. And I truly believe that that was one of the biggest factors in this new mobilization and energy and and, and faith. Because people heard from other people that were in the same circumstances as them, facing the same challenges, and um, God had said great things in their lives. And so I think that's something that all of us can do, and particularly watch our tongues in this time, to speak life and hope with truth, but to stay away from negative talking and thinking. The world needs hope right now.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. So speaking of hope, Daniel chapter three, you know, it's not a hopeful chapter to begin with, as we talked about. In fact, yeah. there's a lot of bleakness in this chapter. I mean, after all, these yeah. people are being thrown into a furnace
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Jews in a furnace. A lot of that happened during World War II. That is not a good combination, right? And so I think we think about World War II and Nazism as where that came about, but it actually started here, you know, in in, uh, Daniel 3. And and yet there's a very different conclusion, you know, there's a very different um, thought processes. So for those of you who were not here last time, George, do you mind doing a little recap as to where we're at and how we got here? yeah sure I can do that
1: excuse me so of course we went through um, the whole chapter of the book of Daniel chapter 3 and we spoke about um, understanding that this the context was in a very very tough time for the nation of Israel and in fact they were in exile and they were prisoners they were taken away by a foreign army and the what What is so encouraging about this chapter is that it's not Daniel who's taking the center role because all of us who love Daniel and we admire him, but he's nearly such a big personality that we can't identify ourselves with him. But here in this chapter, we see um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up against really two things. And I really hope we can talk a bit about those two things tonight more. They stood up against... um, the authorities that forced and brought this incredible peer pressure on worshipping an image of gold, an impressive image. We said it was 16 in uh, sixteen stories high. Sam, you compared it with... Uh, um, you compared Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty, that's right. And so it was massive. And, and then we spoke about it being placed on... Uh, on a um, plain of Dura, which was just outside the city, this impressive, huge image of gold and all the important people were there. And then the ordinary people were invited and intimidated to worship really this important people and their image of gold. And then we compared that with Jesus dying on a, on a, on a tree, Nailed to a tree, also outside the gates of the city. And we we looked at Hebrews and we looked how the author of Hebrews spoke and said to us, We are called to identify with that lonely man, that lowly, humble man who seemed to have been defeated completely as he hung on a cross outside the city. And we are invited to identify with that lonely figure and to ling at the foot of that beautiful cross. that's beautiful for us, but foolishness to the world. And um, so we saw these two incredible pictures on a plane, one of man-made gold, um, and important people and the other one of Jesus and a tree. And then we just started discussing what did that mean? Um, and of course towards the end when they were thrown in a fire, that whole thing had happened where Nebuchadnezzar said, and a fourth man that looked like the son of the gods stood in a fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, we discussed that when you draw that line, that it doesn't mean you will not be thrown in a fire, but it means that there will be a fourth one with you, the son of God, and... The fact that they said the son of God meant it was a deity, and and we believe it referred to Jesus.
0: We also, um, and then we mentioned how Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, really the uh, sort of the crux of, or at least one of them, of their statement, if, verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning Fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We spend a lot of time talking about just that type of faith where, on the one hand, you absolutely believe God can deliver and provide a miracle, on the other hand, you absolutely believe that if God should not provide a miracle, one They've, they said, we're not going to serve other gods. Secondly, is that uh, we're going to still trust in our God, or and you reference Job, though you slay me, I will trust in you. So it's a, it sort of touches on some of the things that we, you wanted to discuss, but I thought a, an interesting part or a corollary to that would be the idea of how tempting it would have been for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. To have uh, just just decided to worship this God, you know, this uh, figure, not because like, in their mind they could have said, you know what, we're really going to worship. In our hearts, we're going to worship God. We're just we're just doing this to keep the witness of our God alive, right? And and they've also already lived as exiles. They probably have experienced incredible poverty. Tragedy. Who knows what their families, the stories that were told, because we're not sure exactly. And maybe you know, they, they were in exile probably about 60 to 70 years. So they might have been alive during the actual exile, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe at the very least, their parents were alive and uh, definitely their great- grandparents would have been alive. And so they would have heard stories of, you know, terrible stories of really bad things happening to their families. And they're living in this exiled land. If they they could have just decided, well, we're not really compromising anything. We'll really hold on to our, our faith. What type of temptation do you think that was for them? I mean, That sense of, because I, I do think that as a believer of Christ, that's always there. This sense of, you can always sort of, figure out a way to live in comfort and not really push yourself to walk in faith but in your but you feel as though you are just by doing certain things do you do you understand what i'm saying george is that yeah yeah that that temptation of wanting to be in the world and uh truly to be in the world but somehow still hold on to, well, I'm a Christian or I'm a believer of God. They could have taken that route. I think probably many people did. You know, we only hear about, there are many Jews living in exile at this time. It's it's not just Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Daniel's obviously there and he didn't do it. But there were a lot of Jews who were there. So I wonder what they were doing. Were they standing up? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know what, the question, yeah, is, Sam, this is where we get into trouble. I think last time we mentioned that Shadrach, Meshach, um, and Abednego couldn't get up that morning and say, hey, come on, let's resist this thing. It's not possible. All of us know that. It's not possible. That peer pressure is way beyond that Anybody can make that decision. I don't care how brave you are or how strong you think you are. You cannot make that decision. And it cut against the way you've lived the five years before that. It just doesn't just like you can't put on the running shoes and go and run 20 kilometers it doesn't matter how much you want to say you're a runner and you believe you're a runner and you love running if you have not run the last three months you cannot run 20 kilometers that's just how it is and so one of the conclusions we made is that Cedric Mishek and go lived a life Daniel lived the life I mean we can see with Daniel right he would face Jerusalem and pray, and he would only eat certain foods. He was in what we call enhanced work. He was in a strong rhythm of kingdom culture. And I, and I want to just bring that in and say, all of us are very, um, I think, acceptable to that we're open to that, all of us can, we call it the frog in the water, right? You know that story so well, you turn on the water slowly and the frog doesn't realize the heat. That is exactly what happened to all of us. If we're not in a strong rhythm, that's why rhythms is so critically important in our lives. And that's why there's seasons, there's rhythms, we breathe, our heartbeat, giving birth, dying, seasons, Everything that God created pointed us towards us keeping a rhythm in our lives. And the people that make it, we're going to talk about a couple of them today, tonight if it's time. But because there are some of them that were filthy rich and they made it and they did beautiful. Why? They were in a rhythm. The secret is not if you're rich or poor, if you're important or not important. That must be settled right in the outset. We spoke last time about me fighting for my backpack with two underpants and two socks. And I fought off rubbish like it was a million dollars in my back. It is what's in our hearts. It is our rhythms. So I want to suggest that um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as Daniel, was in a very strong rhythm. We know for a fact Daniel was in a rhythm, right? We know that. Because mm-hmm. the way he ate, the way he prayed, we. And that made him if I may use the um, terminology and say he was battle ready. And that's the difference between soldiers who are battle ready to mm-hmm. get in a chopper and go with into the battlefield at any moment. You've always got your battle ready people and then after that you got different layers. They were battle ready. My question to us tonight is are we battle ready? Because if that battle knocks on your house door tonight, tomorrow morning, in fact, the way that that war came to the United States in the last two weeks, how many of us are ready to face that? The last point I want to make on this, Sam, is so often I listen to people talking and say, you know, if I want to put the triple six mark on me, or if I want to throw me in jail, I will resist. I agree. That's easy. Anybody can resist that. But can you stand up in a conversation in your office and say, do not use the name of my Lord like that. I I spoke to him this morning. He's personal to me. He's real. He's my God. I'm asking you back off. Can you do that? Can you speak to men publicly, openly, in front of all your colleagues when they boast about the adultery and and that can you stand up and say, it's a disgrace what you do, you made a covenant to your wife. Can you do that? That is the fire in you. That's where you and I get thrown in a fire, or threatened to be thrown in a fire every day. Bow to those men and those things that happened in your office, that stealing money that that exhorting and pushing up the prices and ripping the poor off. You know, the profits must always be bigger, better, faster. Can you stand up against your company and say, what you do is wrong? You know, Sam, in fact, a few decades ago, not long ago, a few decades ago, the church, for example, in Chicago, the church had a guideline where they said, if a company made more than 3% profit, they would um, um, ask the owner of the company to leave the church because it's stealing from the poor. That was just a few decades ago. Today, we praise people when when they print money in our churches. Now, making money is not the issue. It is, how do you make it? How much do you overcharge? Is it honestly a fair and a right price? That's the fires that we and our generation deal with. And if you cannot resist, you cannot stand up in that meeting and say, my friend, you don't speak like that about your wife. You don't, if you don't have a rhythm, if you did not meet with your father that morning, you cannot do it. You will bow before that God.
0: It's not even, as you said, it's not even about meeting him in the morning, but it's, have you been meeting with him maybe years, maybe decades? And for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Daniel 2, And most of the, old, uh, the saints of, who are in the Bible, it's not that they're special, but they have that rhythm. Yeah. And the flip side of that is interesting. You could make the case that when you meet someone, especially in this season, where you're swamped over with fear, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to ask the question, well, what is your rhythm that is actually leading to that type of fruit? Maybe it's, oh, all I'm doing is reading the news the whole day. And I, I do think some of us might need to step back from the news. I, I, I'm a, I love the news, actually. It's hard to read the news. And I'm not just talking about during this time period, but generally, you know, there's so much out there and so many opinions and voices and I wonder if we need to take a little bit of a break from the news. And I do think that sometimes we think that, well, we're not going to be informed. But, boy, if that's what is our rhythm and there is no sense of the Lord. or For a student, it might be studying. All they do is study. Then we shouldn't be shocked when they're afraid, when fear is the expression of their life. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's very good. I think we, and, uh, we need to hold each other accountable. You know, Carol and I are living in the United States now, and we watch very carefully what's happening here. And we try to draw parallels. For example, um, the curve is going up much higher and quicker in the poorer parts of New York and Chicago and um, Detroit and those places. So we try to learn. So it's important for us to follow. But we know that the press, the news conferences are about two hours long. So we would literally take our mouse and go down to the bottom with, you know, where you can follow the, the frames. And we will only choose who we want to listen to. So we'd go to that lady doctor, I don't know what the name is. And we go to that young man with a that guy with a hoarse voice, who's also a medical person. And we listen to them. <laughs> I don't think he's young. <laughs> well I say he's young because look yes. at me <laughs> I like to call people like that young
0: I like the but fact but that he has a horse voice
1: <laughs> yes we, we choose them Okay, so it takes, us, it takes us maybe 15 minutes a day because we only listen to the two of them because they give us facts they give us very important information to prepare ourselves for Africa and we ignore the rest we don't touch it and so I think it is crucially important because if I listen to the politicians, if I listen to the media, which by the way are so biased in so many ways, there is not a station I've seen here that is not super biased. They are driven by hidden motives. It's a disgrace, honestly. And they, they, I think they harm millions of people. And so we've got to be very careful who, which voices do we listen to. And once again, how much time do you spend listening to other voices and how much time do you spend listening to the voice of your shepherd?
0: Well, speaking about speaking to the shepherd, uh, I was thinking about this question. How do we live the life of prayer where we are able to do both at the same time, which is we pray to a God who certainly works miracles, does tremendous things. And there have been many times, you know, we've, you, I know you've prayed for droughts, that God would release rains. But at the same time, have the faith that if God should not provide, that God is still good. So whether the drought, the rains come and the droughts are lifted, or whether the um, droughts are not lifted, the rains do not come, people die, but that is the same God. He's, it's sort of the Meshach Shadrach and Abednego perspective, you know, you might say of where we're thrown in the furnace and God delivers us. He is good. He is faithful. But if he doesn't, he's still good and faithful. What does that look like for you? I know you've been in many contexts where you've had to pray both and you've seen miracles. And then you've seen, you've prayed for healing or you've prayed for God's lifted and it doesn't happen so quickly or it doesn't happen at all. So how does that impact your view of who God is? His faithfulness, a God you can trust.
1: Yeah. I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that God doesn't answer all my prayers the way I want him to answer it, because I think it would have harmed me spiritually and it would have harmed my growth. Um, And in fact, Um, some of the prayers and some of the things that will wake me up in the middle of the night of people that are very close to me that are not close to Jesus and I would say I spent most probably the most time praying for that person or people and God has not given me the answer on that and literally um, last week a dear brother of mine had challenges in his business, and me and Carolyn just prayed for them. And 24 hours later, there was amazing miracles happening there, which I'm so grateful for. I thank God for it, but there are many times he doesn't answer. And I just want to touch on this, Sam, to say it's a very important question because um, when, when we pray is when we talk to God. It, that's our privilege that we have. And We need to come clean to God, because the more honest we are with each other, the deeper our relationship goes. And the more we are open to hear what God wants to actually do, and the more we trust Him. Because we've got to learn to trust Him. And I believe if you always ask God for something, and you're never thanking for, for many things, that you will be anxious your whole life because you will always want more, want more, want more. Let me ask for more, let me ask more. One of the biggest reasons why we nearly insist that God must answer our prayers is because of our fears. And if we look at this Daniel 3, there are two things that we, that's big. The one is our fear of death. And I think we must touch on that tonight. And so if somebody is sick or something is happening, a crisis right now, um, we, we desperate God must heal because fear is just too big for us. And I think it's time that we look fear in the eye again. And we can talk a little bit about that if you want to. Um, and then the second one is just the grip of self-love and gold that reaches. And we constantly pray that we will not lose face, that we will find favor, and that we'll have more to give, meet our greeds. and may nobody die because that's the one thing we haven't conquered yet. And I think um, it's time for us to understand that every one of us have got a death sentence. Every one of us. We've got no say in that. Once you make peace with that, that your days are numbered and you've been given a promise in Deuteronomy that your strength will equal your days, then I would just say, man, live it up as dangerously and as hard as you can, because it is already planned by your God. You can live in freedom. What is the use of walking around in fear and still die exactly when you're supposed to die anyway? I'm not saying you must be self-destructive, but I think that fear of death, um, love for self and the riches, most of our prayers are centered around those things. And God is not gonna give it to us, always, it's not. Because we need to get closer to him and that's why he won't do it.
0: Ah, the fear of death. So gripping, what a time. You know, yeah. it's a. What's interesting about this um, virus is that. By far, it is hitting percentage wise those who are, sixty and above, a pretty yeah. large percentage. Something ninety five. Yeah, it's it's very very large. Yeah. Um, I mean, you just lo- You just buried your mother. Yeah. Um, you know, many of us have. If people our age, we have elderly parents. Yeah. And even if our parents who are believers, and let's assume, mm-hmm. I think there is a there is something to fear if you do not trust in Christ. That is that is a real fear. And you should I I hope people have fear actually. But if you do trust in Christ and you're a senior, um, I hope. The fear of death is is not gripping you. I, I had, a, you know, I um this past, not th- this year but last year, I preached a whole series on heaven. For me, yeah. and I have no idea whether it reached anybody, <laughs> but that it really reached is. me. <laughs> it reached me. That's it. Reached my own soul, right? And mm-hmm. um, and what it did was it showed me. Heaven is, is uh, and, and the new heavens and the new earth, that is our true eternal destiny. And, uh, you know, I, I I know we've been beating this over and over again, but um, this really is that dot in the wall. It's not, that is true for us. So if that's true for us, it should impact the way that we view death. It must and yet it doesn't always. Why?
1: I think it's so important that we start, um, like I said earlier, I think it's time we look death in the eye and say to death, where is your sting? Show me your sting because I fear you nothing. And there must be, people must start dying again, in front of the community, they must experience a death. And and this, because that's how we're going to conquer it. I know um, English isn't my first language, so I'll try and explain it a bit. You know that when my mother died, the week before she died, so she was literally on a deathbed, the week before she died, hands at work, international families, where death, you know how big is death, they brought their children, Hayden, Ruby, I mean, they are five and six years old and three years old. They brought them to come and stand next to my mother and to come and watch her as she was dying because she was so full of joy in the midst of that. And my mom will hold their hand and wink at them even. And then their parents will explain to them that Omi is preparing to go to heaven in front of Omi. And Omi is happy and the children understood. And so when my mom passed away, um, when we took it to the Mochi, Karen and I emptied the room and we sat on the floor for two days, like African people do. And, you know, the African people in tour came and they sat with us on the floor and they wept and we laughed about Omi's life and we talked about it. And sometimes we sat in silence for an hour. But the international people, it was very hard for them because I had to learn to do that because these days we don't even watch the coffin go down because we are so scared of death. So my African brothers and sisters went to go and get the international volunteers by the hand and said, come, we're going to George and Carolyn now and sit with them on the floor. And you're gonna learn how to do this. And they sat with us on the floor. You know, hands at work, we duck the grave next to our chapel. Our maintenance team made my mother's coffin. And every day for four days, the whole community will walk past there and say, how's it going with a coffin? And it will help a bit and paint it. The, the children will help us when we duck the grave. It was the most beautiful, natural thing. And we we live streamed it. People sent us emails out of Australia, out of England, out of Canada. People said we were lying in our beds at five o'clock in the morning, weeping, not because Omi died, but because the funeral was so beautiful. It was so natural. It was so human. To die is an experience all of us must look in our eye, and especially us as children who know our future, This is where we say farewell. Mm. This is where we say, we'll see you soon. This Mm -hmm. is how we remember God's goodness in Omi's life. This is a, a celebration in the midst of tears. We must come back to the right place again and look this enemy in the eye. Christ came to conquer death. He is the first resurrection. All of us are gonna have resurrection. And it's because of that we don't fear death. And so for us to do that, Sam, for us to die well, if I look at my mother's life, for us to die well, we need to live well. If you don't live well, you can't die well. And I want to stir up everybody tonight and say, friends, if you live well, you will not fear death. We fear death because we don't live well. So how, you know, how do we live well? What do we do? We choose to die while we're alive. We choose to die to the world. We choose to die to the gold image and the important people and bowing before that. Every time you say no to that and you choose the lonely man on the tree, every time you do that, you live well. Every time you give generously, you live well. Every time you do something on behalf of someone else, you live well. Every time you draw close to Jesus, you live well. And I promise you, after 24 years, my ministry is among the death. I have seen thousands of people dying well because they lived well. And I've seen many, many people die deaths that scared the living daylights out of me because they lived bad. You want to die well, you've got to live well. Uh, that is so sobering. it's so true.
0: It really is. I, I think of our time, this time, you know, there are a lot of people dying. A lot of people dying alone because of this pandemic where families can't even go, you know, to the funerals of people. But I absolutely agree with you. One thing that you said that made me think of this idea is that it took, um, it took Omi wanting to die well, but it also took you and Carolyn of wanting people in your life at that time where so many, when they think about death, And it's not to say there shouldn't be times of personal mourning and grieving, but it tends to be, especially in the West where dying is very individualistic. And so we want to hide our weaknesses, our illnesses, our uh, uh, um, dying, even that dying process. No one wants to be seen in that way. And it took Omi's faith and your faith to say, No, we want you to come. We want you to see. Why do you feel as though? I mean, what message do you have for us that tries to even hide death from people? Hide the 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 corruption of the body, you know, the slow death.
1: You know, the three weeks before Omi died. I stopped everything, and I lived with her 24-7. I slept next to her hospital bed for two weeks. And then the third week, when I saw it was closed, I asked the hospital if I could take her home. And our medical plan that Omi had to allow for hospice workers to come in, and we decided, no, Kelly and I are going to care. My oldest sister came to us at that stage. We want to care for Omi personally. Um, Hands at work people came with Carolyn in the mornings, they will bath Omi. That morning before she died, I wanna just tell you what happened. Omi always said, I wanna see Nikki, my daughter that we adopted, I want to see her through school. I'm trusting God that I will be with her. And you know, some of the fondest moments I've ever had um, of Nikki and Omi is when I come home out of the office at five o'clock and they will sit on the veranda and Omi will teach Nikki schoolwork. And here I see this old person that have got a ministry among the orphans. And I see this child who had nobody that wanted to care for her. And yes, she's got this Omi. She doesn't just got parents, she's got a grandmother teaching her. In the middle of the night, when Omi was sick, Nikki will get up and go to her. It was just the most beautiful, beautiful picture. And Omi always said, I want to be there for Nikki. That Friday morning was Nikki's last day of school. She finished school that day. And that morning I said to Nikki, just go and sit a little bit alone with Omi before you go. And the two of them were alone for about 15 minutes. Nikki got in the car and she drove to school the last day. I sat next to Omi. I held her hand. I put on her music for her. She winked at me. I prayed for her. And I watched her as she went. And... I phoned Nikki and Carolyn, and as I phoned, Nikki walked into her classroom, her school hall, for the last day of her school. If you are facing death, you look at in, and people said, "You phoned your granddaughter, Yes, we don't fear death. Nikki didn't walk into that school shattered. She walked into that school and said, "You know what, my God loves me so much that he kept my grandmother." He gave her her wish until my last day. So now we look back and we see, I wouldn't miss it for anything. Imagine somebody else had to look after my mother that last three weeks. Imagine my mother had to look at strange faces in the middle of the night. I'm sorry if it comes strong. I just want to be very honest and say, guys, don't be scared. Don't be scared sit in that pain, hold their hands, bath them, love them, face death with them, pray with them, put on the music that they love and cry with them. This Amen. is us declaring victory over death when you do that.
0: Yes. That is, oh, what a word we need. <laughs> the world needs that word, you know, as we consider that, yeah. Now the second part you wanted to talk about is I still even have more even after that. There's, still, <laughs> there's so much in this pat, you know. I yes. it, it just keeps on going. I feel like we could go another time talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> but you wanted to talk about um, just this gold statue.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know the fact that he did yeah. make it out of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, and it was just such a. It's amazing how gold has stood the test of time, historically. Yeah, yeah. As, as a metal of value, you know, in the end, it's just a piece of rock. Yeah, that's right. But it is, it has held its value. It keeps on going up, right? And yeah. so, what does this say? Why do, why does uh, riches, gold, resources control us so much? What are the temptations? And not just for non-Christians, but for Christians, for the church. Oh, massive, yeah. Yeah, just this power that is enveloping us. Yeah. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I actually took time to dig into this a bit because we spoke a bit about it and said, the fact that you're successful, the fact that you've got a high position, the fact that God has given you the ability to be an entrepreneur should be celebrated. Um, nobody should feel guilty. And I often speak to the poorest people and I say to them, you most many times love money more than the richest people I know. And so I want to make very clear that we set that straight. And so many people speak about that rich young man, rich young ruler was it and Jesus said to him give up everything. And Oh, gosh, you hear so many arguments about it, you know. Will God expect that of me? Will he not? Let me just say this, when I thought through that. Yeah, what I believe. Um, the man, that man, is not, the difference between him, and we're going to talk a bit about Job and Abraham and, and so many other people. The difference between them is that um, he He did not have money. It's not true, he did not have money. Money had him, that is the difference. He was not the master of his money. His money was his God, his money was his master. So he could sit and think and say, I know I need to give, I know I need to be generous, I know I don't need to live like this. But the bottom line when it comes to the decision, Money rules. Money makes the decision. That's why Jesus, out of love. You know what is so beautiful about that piece? It said, and Jesus loved him. Sam, you know, I'm sorry to say this to you, but I think Jesus hugged him. I, I don't think so. I do. I think Jesus <laughs> gave him a... <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't give him a high five. He hugged yeah. <laughs> him, and he was probably wet you, over him.
0: You don't think Jesus he,
1: was social distancing? No, 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 no. I think Jesus totally loved him and hugged him because it was an act of love that Jesus said to him, man, I see your heart. I see in you huge potential. I see in you somebody wants to follow me. But here's an idol that is so big in your life. Unless you're going to take this thing and cut it out of your life, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So that's really how I understand the rich young ruler. And every one of us who are rich, need to. and rich is relative, right? We need to carefully consider. Maybe that is the asset test, just to say, honestly, between you and your checkbook, who, who made the calls? The bottom line in your bank account or your, what God is saying and showing to you? That's what it is about. But the riches itself, you know, Job was, in Job 1 it says a man like no other man on earth. He He was the humblest of them all. And he was so wealthy. Abram was so prosperous. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and he got great wealth. We know Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea, all of them had lots of money. But if we look at them, we can see that they had money. Money didn't have them. Now, if we look at the Bible, I mean, the, the Bible starts with um, extravagant paradise. It was it wasn't a, a dirty, sloppy little place. It was extravagant. And then we look at where we're heading. It's not just a slab, you know, little town where we're going. We are going to a place full with riches. But it's not going to rule our hearts. All of those things we're going to use to glorify God. It's going to be things that we get. That's why I believe gold is going to be paving in new heavens. Because it's going to be put in a place. Every time we walk on it, we will remember how many of our brothers and sisters were deceived by that glitter. And how easy it can deceive any one of us if we don't recognize it for what it is. I think it's crucially important word for us at this time, Sam, to look this thing like death, to look the love of money. And we can absolutely not look here at people outside the church. I don't even want to talk about them. For me, they are deceived in that. And so you don't judge people who are deceived. I mean, they are deceived but we who claim to know the truth. Where is your heart? What is driving you? What makes you get up on a Monday morning? What what makes you set your goals? What is your goals? To have another house? To have, to earn so much more money? What is your goals? Just be honest about it because Jesus asks these questions because he loves you. He loves you. And he is a jealous God. He wants you. He wants you because he knows it's the best for you. And so I think it's a critically important question we need to ask in this time because our antennas are up and we can hear better than other times. And we need to hear this word well.
0: Yes, yes. Again, I go back to verse 18, 17 and 18, and that just, their response seems to speak completely counteract or countermand that idea of prosperity. Because if it was all about prosperity, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego would have never said verse 18, right? That just would not be a part of, they would have just said, we're going to serve whoever keeps us safe and happy and prosperous. And God always does that. So if they were it's a complete rejection of the prosperity gospel. And I think you yeah. mentioned this before. You mentioned the fact that, you know, you can look at TBN, Creflo Dollar, you know, the Joel Osteens of the world and think of them as prosperity gospel. But prosperity gospel runs far deeper than even exactly. those who preach it or write books about it. Yeah, It's it's become ingrained into our
1: culture, theology, even, yeah.
0: even our theology. And we see it actually playing out even yeah. now. Um, yeah. Because... Almost to say, well, how could God do this to us? You know, I thought we were being faithful Mm -hmm. to Him, or I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, we're I tithe, I, you know, I work with hands at work, I, and suddenly I'm stuck, I'm losing my job, perhaps, um, and well, is God good? Is He faithful? So, verse eighteen is such a a counter agent to that idea of, no, we don't, we don't deserve it because God is somehow owes us. He's yes. already graciously given us his own son, according to Romans 832.
1: That's the so, prosperity, gospel.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean you see this yes. all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, but you see it here as much as you see it in Africa.
1: Yeah. No, totally. And in the West. I wanna I wanna read something to you, Sam. Um, because in the last time when we were together, we spoke about the American dream that is slowly becoming a nightmare according to statistics by many, many people doing research. So I want to just read something to you from Madeleine Levine. She wrote The Price of Privilege and she wrote this. America's newly identified at-risk group is pre-teens and teens from affluent, well-educated families. In spite of the economic and social advantages, children of affluence experience among the highest rates of depression, substance abuse, anxiety disorders, somatic complaints and unhappiness in any group of children in this country. Listen to this. 22% of adolescent girls from financially comfortable families, suffer from clinical depression. This is three times the national rate of depression for this age group of girls. That's American dream for you and hard cold statistics. It's not working. Now, if you look at that, the fact that they are financially comfortable is not the issue. The issue is that that is becoming the god. That is the thing. And that's where everything is falling apart. That's where the card house is falling apart. These statistics are well-documented. They come from, we don't even want to talk about the suicide rate among young children at the moment went up of 70%. The, um, I mean, it's just, terrible statistic pointing towards this. I don't want to be gloomy about it. I just want to say to us, if we believe that I'm a new creation in Christ, eternity lives in me, and that all things are new, and we say Romans 12, renew your mind, renew your mind, and you will know the perfect will of God. And Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life in abundance. And so we just can continue and continue and continue to talk about this promise of eternity and new life, starting the moment that you embrace Christ as your Savior. Compared to us saying, we want Christ as our Savior for eternity, but till we get there, we want to live the American dream. And that is not only becoming a nightmare for us, But it's driving our children away from our faith by the dozens. Now at the moment they speak about evangelical Christians that grew up in evangelical homes, up to 80, between 80 and 85 percent of them after the third semester in college, they will never put their feet in church again. Sam, why? Why? That generation is looking for one thing. They're looking for authentic faith. They're looking for the real thing. They're looking for people that walk the talk, people that live that, that choose between that gold image on the plane versus the man hanging on a cross in a plane. And we will be surprised of this new generation how honestly they will embrace it if they see us radically living it out, mm-hmm. especially in times like now. Mm-hmm. This is an incredible moment for us. Right. They will it will have a massive impact in the young generation's faith, how we as a church are responding in mm-hmm. this.
0: Mm-hmm. They're watching. Oh, absolutely. They're watching their families. They're stuck. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: So absolutely. <laughs> they're watching what the parents are, how they're responding, what they're thinking, you know, are they uh, trusting? Are they panicked? They are watching. Are they filled with joy or are they filled with fear? I find that um, fear is an incredibly contagious thing. It's, I think, okay. it's far more contagious than COVID nineteen. And yeah. I know that I think it's also generational. If you're, if you as a mom or a dad is filled with fear, and you're constantly telling your children, "Be careful," you know, "Oh, don't, don't go out there," you know, "You're gonna get hurt," and that's your constant mo. Don't be surprised if your children. Sense that it's it's very difficult to space yourself from that, and it's
1: it's contagious. It really is. Yeah, we see it play out in many practical ways, also, don't we? Mm. I I had such a wonderful evening with Stephen and Amy um, last week, and we spoke, and I I laughingly, jokingly said to Stephen, "You know, Stephen, you guys, I don't understand you because." In Africa, I've never seen a child in a village that's allergic to peanut butter <laughs> or anything else. I'm not even talking about, <laughs> you know, all the stuff that people are allergic to. And what is the problem? You, but it's because children cannot even play in the dirt anymore. They've got to wash their hands. They're not allowed to touch. We are We are turning into this because we want to control everything. And at the end of the day, you sit with a child that's allergic to every single thing and nobody can do nothing and they live by fear and honestly it is my belief it is closely connected this is very practical but it's closely connected to a spiritual walk the way you walk practical is a way it's what comes out of your spiritual belief system are you driven by fear or not and i think we need to become robust again robust in our faith Robust, and you know, I speak to parents, and they say, "But how can my child go to Africa?" And I say, "You know what Psalms say? Your children are arrows in your quiver. You know what that arrow is doing in your quiver? It's waiting for you to put it in your bow and to shoot it out. And when that arrow comes home one day, that arrow will be an arrow that you'll be proud of. That arrow will be beautiful, mature, and streetwise." They will understand what death means. They will know what poverty and life means. They will come back to your pews in your churches and they will become your leaders that will carry your church in the next crisis you have. The biggest gift you can give to your child and to your community and to your church especially is put them in that bow and shoot them out. Let them go. Trust God, he's better than you. He can do it better than you can do it. And I've seen that.
0: (laughs) That's a great parenting (laughs) lesson. There's so much more. I wish we could, again, but I have to close with one more thing because we only have about five minutes left, if you can imagine. It went pretty fast this time. But verse 15, um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That last question. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now at face, that is just sheer arrogance, right? There's, it's just, I mean, it's no wonder that God made him eat grass like a a donkey (laughs) later on, you know? (laughs) But, But he, I think this question though, is a question that has been asked throughout human history by all sorts of people, um, from the Stalins and Hitlers and Neros of the world to even just regular, normal people. Who is the God? Because in the end, it's always gonna be a question. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? You know, he thought he had control when the Jews said, oh, don't put, he's the king of the Jews. He says, what I've written, I've written. So it makes it seem as though he has all control. And, but talk about, it, it's such an ironic question. And who is the God who will deliver, who will save you out of my hands? And then immediately we find the God who saves them out of his hands, who delivers. And that is a theme throughout the whole of the Bible. Whenever that question is posed, who is going to deliver you? And the answer is always, god is going to deliver and he just keeps on showing that in every book of the bible that question is asked in every book of the bible god gives an answer and it's himself even when everyone else turns away even when everyone else fails god will be the one who provides the lamb in genesis 22 when uh, you know when abraham goes and sacrifices isaac god provides and then eventually god does provide the lamb i just thought that question is so arrogant Mm -hmm. but yet god always takes that arrogance and puts it on its head and uses it to show even more how much of a saving merciful kind god is as he is so i was wondering what you thought about that because to me i i went through that question this story again i saw that right in the middle that just such an arrogant question and yet god knows how to answer that question
1: and, you know, I will tell a quick story what happened yes. to me, Sam. I, it was December. We took a break, and me and my family took a break for about 12 days. And when we came back, we heard that one young man that we were working with was on his deathbed. Um, he had HIV AIDS, and he was in serious trouble. So I went to his house, and he was lying outside the hut, and all the elders, the brothers and the fathers and uncles all sat there. And I look at him, his name was Betwell, he's Betwell. and I said to him, um, come I want to take you to Dr. Hartman, it was a Christian doctor I was working with, and the, and the family said, no you're not taking him, he's staying here, he's going to die here with us. And I said, he doesn't have to die, let's fight for him, let's trust God for a miracle. Sam, the guy was on his death, but He could he breathed, breathed like somebody that had double pneumonia, His skin and bone, obviously had TB and full-blown AIDS. And um, he was on his deathbed. And they look at me and they said to me, if you take him from here and he die, we will accuse you as the one who killed him. And that might mean that you can never work here again because we say no. And I looked at this young man's eyes and I could just see he's so desperate for life. And I went. he was lying in a wheelbarrow. And I went, I picked him up out of the wheelbarrow, put him in a car, and I drove off with him to Dr. Hartman. And I remember she looked at him, and she just shook her head. She said to me, this is going to be a miracle. Because we first had to treat him for TB for, I think, four or five weeks before we can start treating him for the AIDS. And we prayed and held our breath because there was so much on the line. Now, every logic person would have said to me, leave him. Don't Don't let your ministry go down the tubes here just because of one guy. You care for many other people. There are so many, so many reasons why I shouldn't have put it on the line. You know, about, I don't know, nine months later, I walked across a soccer field and a guy playing soccer. You know that soccer field. And the ball went past me and here comes a guy running past me and he stops and he looked at me and he he said to me, Hey, Sipo, how are you? and I look at this guy, and it's Betwell. And I said to him, Betwell, how are you doing? He said to me, I'm a motivational speaker. I go from school to school, and I tell people never give up. Jesus can save you, even if you're in your deathbed. Mm-hmm. And I'm sharing this with you because, you know, I think it's this is the time for us to become brave. My message, and people don't like it, my message is the whole time, be brave. Don't let the Culture, don't let the system hold you back to be brave. I'm not saying be irresponsible, but I'm saying be brave. If you find your betwells, pick them up. Take them. Take that chance. Test God on that. Test him on that. He will come through. He will do it. And I think it's time for us to experience his miracles again, because that is not just good for Betwell. I mean I praise God his life. He's still today strong. But it was so good for me, Sam. It made me so brave. And it gave me so much um, emotional strength and faith to do the next one and the next one and the next one because I saw God coming through. I think it's time for us to do that.
0: Amen. I remember Betwell. (laughs) And the song, Never Give Up. That song, that, that is a... I think anyone who's gone to Africa who's heard that song, especially in South Africa. Oh, that is a that really hits you there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I, again, I wish we could talk for another two hours, um, but just want to thank you so much for just your heart. Any last words,
1: Sam? Just a very quick last word would yes. be: as we go into Holy Week, I want to ask you to. Use the emotion and the the anxiety maybe, or the stirring, whatever's in your heart. Use it to go deep and to seriously identify and contemplate exactly what Jesus went through. You talk about being socially distant. You talk about being rejected. You talk about being, man, that was Jesus. And so We are in a unique place where we can look at it from such a fresh angle that it can take you very deep. Exactly what the Son of God, the Son of Man, did for you and for me. The man of sorrows. Yet, nobody had more joy than him. Isn't that incredible? Experience, receive, get to know him deep in this week. And may he build you up strong to become a mighty blessing, in a broken world.
0: Thank you so much. Let me. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Oh, Lord, we praise you that as we have just learned and talked about that we can trust in the man of sorrows because you understand, oh, Lord, how broken our world is, but you reconciled this world to yourself, to the Father, through the cross of Christ. And Lord, we just really pray that, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, even facing the arrogance of someone like Nebuchadnezzar, and we see this story time and time again, not perfection, but an unwillingness to yield um, ground, because as we spoke of earlier, because of long-term rhythms developed through Prayer life, a study of your word, a deep trust in you. And though the mountains quake, and though the waves crash, you are still faithful. You always will be, no matter the circumstance, no matter the outcome. So we pr- I pray for every person who is listening to us. I pray for strength and boldness, bravery, courage. I pray that you would be praised and honored, O oh Lord even at this time, pray for the parents, pray that they would have uh, faith and be free of fear so that when their children reflect and remember this time, they will see a mom and dad who has, who walked alongside you, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, that they feared no evil because you have been with them and your rod and staff has protected and comfort, comforted them. So we praise you and we thank you for your constant mercies and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thanks,
0: everybody.